there is the overwhelming desire to have more of something, this greed, more futility of their mind, more darkness in their understanding, living a, more of a life that is alienated from God, which leads to a hardness of heart, searing their conscience until they are past feeling, causing them to seek out more lewdness, more uncleanness, more greediness, and the cycle just keeps going on and on and on. And we all used to be there apart from Christ. Maybe you're still there today. But as believers, that is not supposed to be our cycle. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. We're in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. I've titled this, Put Off, Be Renewed, and Put On. We never know the impact that our service to the Lord can have on someone else. And it's each of us doing our part. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to edify the body of Christ. He's divided verses 17 through 24, speaking about the way the Gentiles in the world live and the way we are to live. Next, we find that the Gentiles are past feeling. It's a word that has been translated as having your conscience seared as with a hot iron in 1 Timothy 4.2, that you're past feeling. I don't know if you have parts of your body. I have a, a left thumb that doesn't feel right anymore. And I'm fortunate to still have a left thumb because I have uh, totally ripped the nail off it I got it stuck in a grinder once and had five stitches to put it back together. And then I took a razor knife. You know when you cut with your knife, they tell you to cut away from your body? I knew that, but I still was cutting toward my body. And when it slipped off the piece of wood, my thumb was right there to catch the blade. Another five stitches. There's only really one part on this thumb that is actually still uninjured. I'm sure I'll get it one day. But... It doesn't, it doesn't feel right anymore. It's, it's past feelings because I've damaged the nerve so bad in this thumb that it just feels weird, and that's just how it is. But that's how our hearts can get, too. We can get past feelings, past consciousness, something that God has instilled in us, something that God has planted in us. And as a result of getting past the feelings, two things happen. First, they gave themselves over to lewdness, it's a word that 
it has a sensual meaning, but especially to sexual excess. And then secondly, to work all cleanness with greediness. And the, the uncleanness, again, is an impurity, uh, whether physically or a morality. There's this uncleanness in their life. It's a state of moral impurity, but it's with greediness. There's this idea that they stepped across the boundary, but they keep wanting more and more and more. The idea of greediness, right? You never get enough. You never get enough. But this is especially in regards to the sensual appetites, uh, sexual pleasures. Now, has Paul been describing our world today here in the United States? It seems like it is to me. It, it's getting worse and worse out in the world. God said in Romans 1.24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. See, the word tells us here that they were past feeling and they gave themselves over to the lewdness, to the works of uncleanness, to greediness. And as a result, God gave them up. You know, I think God does that with us. I, I think that God works in our lives. He at times can put pressure on us. He'll let you go so far and he'll try to redeem you. He'll try to save you. He'll try to bring you back. But there'll be a point to where he says, all right, you've crossed the line. I'm going to let the world have you. God knows if he'll return back to him or not. But there's that place where you can get so callous that you don't care any longer. And you're going to say, I, God, I don't care what you want, what you command. I'm going to do what I want. And God says, okay, see how the world is without me. And he'll back off. The purpose, Paul talks about it in First and Second Corinthians, he talks about a man who was having sex with his father's wife. Now, the idea is that it wasn't his mom, but dad had gotten remarried. But this guy was in the church. He was having sexual relations with his stepmom. And Paul said, push him out into the world. Let Satan have him for a season. But he said that his soul might be saved. There was a purpose for the discipline. And in Second Corinthians, although he doesn't refer back to the same man, he refers to a situation which I dealt with you about, but he does say, bring him back into the fellowship now. And it's believed to be the same person that the church put him out and he repented, but they didn't let him come back in. And Paul said, let him come back in. Otherwise, it could get worse for him. You have to take him back in that Christ can work in his life. And so there's this danger here. For the Gentiles, just to summarize this, there is the overwhelming desire to have more of something, this greed, more futility of their mind, more darkness in their understanding, living a, more of a life that is alienated from God, which leads to a hardness of heart, searing their conscience until they are past feeling, causing them to seek out more lewdness, more uncleanness, more greediness, and the cycle just keeps going on and on and on. And we all used to be there apart from Christ. Maybe you're still there today. But as believers, that is not supposed to be our cycle. Now, we have not so learned in Christ. Jesus Christ, our teacher. Well, how is Christ our teacher? Well, he's, he's our teacher in very many ways. It's through his word. The Bible tells us in, in 2 Timothy 2.15, it tells us, Be diligent to present yourself, approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, some people, they dislike the King James because they use the word be diligent. 
instead of, as the King James wrote, study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But the sense of if you're rightly dividing the word of truth, the idea is that you're studying. If you know how to use the word of God, it's because you've been diligent, you've been studying God's word. But I think we get the point that we're to study God's word, we're to know his word. It's one of the ways that Christ teaches us. He also teaches us through his Holy Spirit. He said in John 14, 25, that when the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance the things that I said to you. So Christ, our teacher, and Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to remind you of the things that I have taught you. Also, we've already read it in Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, that Christ himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So he is, teaches us through those who have set over us to be teachers. And so Christ teaches through these. He also, through nature. I've already mentioned part of this verse, but in Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, beyond understood by the things that are made, that even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. That we should look and see God's marvelous creation when we look out. I don't enjoy the cold weather anymore. You know, your joints don't like it, so you don't like it as much as you used to as you get older. But someone asked me, I think it was David, do you like the snow? And I said, David Hawking, that is. And I said, yeah, I used to before I became a pastor. Now there's a whole parking lot that I'm concerned with, not only just shoveling my own driveway, but, you know, it's sidewalks, it's everything. Suddenly you got all this to take care of, too, and it kind of takes a little of the thrill away. When you know that, you know, you want to have church open. and But I've been enjoying the night skies because they've been clearing out and the stars are more visible now. I love looking at the stars. And I, I don't think of the wonder of evolution when I look up at the stars. I think of the wonder of my creator when I look at the night skies. And, and I can do that just through the simple things and, and looking around and just observing nature and how God makes things work and how that fits so well together. But he's our teacher through nature. So Christ, our teacher, we don't physically have Jesus sitting among us. They didn't either. So he teaches us through his word, through his Holy Spirit, through the teachers that he has sent us, whether apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, or teachers, or through nature itself. I found this line very interesting as he said, but you have not so learned in Christ if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That part right there, as the truth is in Jesus. It got me to look over the internet and to ask the question, what is truth? This is what Wikipedia said. See if I confuse you with their answer. Truth has a variety of meanings, such as a state of being in accord with fact or reality. It can also mean having fidelity to an original or to a standard or ideal. In a common usage, 
It also means consistency or sincerity in action or character. The direct opposite of truth is falsehood, which can correspondingly take logic, factual, or ethical meanings. Truth involves both the quality of faithfulness, fidelity, loyalty, sincerity, veracity, and that of agreement with fact or reality. Is that a good answer? You got that? I like the answer of Jesus is truth. That's a whole lot easier. If you go on in that, just look and see what they say about truth. Here's some of the things you'll see, that even our philosophers can't really agree upon what truth is, and so they've given theories to it. One of the theories is constructive, constructivist theory, which says truth is connected to social processes and historical and cultural specifics. That is partly shaped through the power struggles within a community. Consensus theory holds that truth is whatever is agreed upon. In some versions, it might be agreed upon by some specific group. Pragmatic theory holds that truth is varied and confirmed by the result of putting one's concept into practice. Minimalist theory holds that the predicate true, I can, I can just imagine someone with a very snooty, uppity, nostrally, intellectual, the predicate true is an expression convenience not named in the property of requiring deep analysis. It means that true isn't really a word, so we don't know what true is. Plurialist theory basically means that true can be what true for you is not necessarily true for me. And so we have this variety of even trying to define what is truth. Pilate asked the question to Jesus. If you remember when Jesus stood before Pilate in John 18.37, Jesus said to Pilate, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of truth hears my voice. Pilate responded by saying, what is truth? And the scripture tells us then he turned and he walked away and he went out. Truth stood before him, and he walked away from truth. John 14, 6, we know, says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. Tradition tells us that Pilate, within 10 years, committed suicide. And I believe it was because he walked away from the truth. Jesus Christ. But here, it's worded for us in Ephesians 4, 21, that the truth is in Jesus. In John 1.17, it tells us the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What is truth? When someone asks you that, just say, Jesus is truth. And they'll say, I don't understand. And I'll pray for you. Because <laughs> if you try to define truth in the world, I don't understand. It gets very confusing. In fact, the world doesn't understand because they've walked away from the truth. He also tells us that we are to put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. We're to put off. It means to cast off a garment. It's a pretty simple idea. It's when you come in and you take your coat off. It's wintertime. We're going to be doing a lot of putting off and a lot of putting on this winter. And here, this is a passage of putting off and putting on. We're to cast off the former conduct. 
We're not to be. We're believers now. We're not supposed to live as we're not believers. We're not supposed to live as if we were without Christ. We're to put that off. We're to cast it off. When they stoned Stephen, they cast off their garments and picked up stones and stoned him. They got rid of their sleeves that were in the way that they could really throw the rocks at Stephen. And and they laid those coats at Saul's feet. You know the story there in Acts chapter 8. But there is that casting off. And in the Bible, we're to take off as believers. Here in next week, we'll look at it in Ephesians 4.25. We're to put off lying, James 1.21, all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. 1 Peter 2.1, all malice, all guile, all hypocrisy, all envy, all evil speaking. Hebrews 12.1, it says we're to lay aside, it's the same word, word cast off, we're to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. We're to put off those things that we know that keeps us in fellowship with Jesus Christ. That's the way of the world. Christ has redeemed us from the way of the world. Why do we continually want to be back in the ways of the world? David Hawking told me on the way to the airport a story of a a fairly large church, and I'm not going to name any names other than that. It's a large church. But in this large church was a man who, when he was in his late 20s, his wife left him, and he had been without any relationship as far as a woman is concerned, and he was now in his 40s. And his pastor said, you know what, why don't you think about dating, and maybe it's time for you to find a wife again and and date again. And I think it was 12 or 14 women from the church that he went out. And finally he came out, he went out with these women, and he came back to his pastor. He said, every one of them have wanted to have sex with me on the very first date, and they're all church members. That's the ways of the world. That's what the world teaches. I would not want to be in that guy's situation or to be in a gal's situation because I know it's difficult, but as believers, we're to have a standard. I had a man tell me once when I, in premarital counseling, asked, are you guys having sexual relations? And he said, yes, but I made a promise to God that I would never have sex again until I met the woman that I married And I said, you should have honored God all the way and waited until we had the marriage vows then. He made a promise and he didn't make the commitment, the ultimate commitment. And I challenged them to stop until you're married. And they did. We need that commitment today. We need to put off the former conduct. It's a battle, but we got to put it off. We can't give in to it because it's destructive He says to put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, the old woman, the old person, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And and so we're putting off and there's this renewal process, this renewal process to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And Pastor Chuck, he commented this way on that. He said, my mind is not governed or ruled by my desires any longer, but ruled by the spirit of God. This renewal of mind, David said in Psalm 51.10, and and that's a psalm of confession because he's confessing that time that he fell into adultery with Bathsheba and the whole mess that came after that. But this psalm came out of that, and he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Let's go over and look at Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, because it gives us the whole thought there. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So often we want to know what the will of God is. And Paul tells us, man, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We put off the ways of the world to put on Jesus Christ. The renewing of the Holy Spirit, it's referred to in Titus 3.5. We put on the new man. and it's, So you cast off one coat for a new one. It's an easy illustration. You're taking off the filthy garments, the rags that you once had. You know, there's a, a prophecy in the Old Testament of a priest named Joshua who, when he stood in the heavens, he's got this filthy garments on, and God said, take off the filthy garments and give them a new garment. And that's what Christ does every time he saves a person on this earth. There's a renewal. There's this casting off of the old, the putting on of the new. And we are to be putting on. It's, I like this description in the Strong's. I've always liked it. it. The Greek word is enduo, and it means to put on clothes, to get dressed. But he writes in Strong's, the sense of sinking into a garment. Now, when it's cold, and maybe you get a blanket to throw over you to get warm, and how good that feels when you do that. We get that feeling of just, oh, that feels good, sinking into the garment. The garment, we're to put on the new man, we're to put on Jesus Christ. There's a lot in Scripture when it talks about putting on. In Romans 13, 12, we're to put on the armor of light. Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. 1 Corinthians 15, 53 and 54, it repeats it. It says we're to put on incorruption, put on immortality. We're going to get to this in a few weeks. But Ephesians 6, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. And specifically in verse 14, although there's six parts to that armor, if you've been to Sunday school, you should know the six parts of the armor. But he says in verse 14, put on the breastplate of righteousness. So put on the whole armor of God. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Colossians 3.10, put on the new man. Colossians 3.12, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Colossians 3.14, put on love. Galatians 3.27, for those of you who have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. So we're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put off the former conducts. Be renewed by the spirit of our mind and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it gives us two reasons for this. It goes on to say that we put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and in true holiness. I was reading one of the commentators. He said that righteousness speaks about the right conduct toward others. Holiness speaks about the right conduct toward God, living a life of faithfulness and devotion to God. 
So righteousness, our conduct toward each other. Holiness, our conduct toward God. Father, thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for this time together. I believe, Lord, a hard portion of Scripture in the sense that I know I'm not innocent. I know there are things I need to put off. I'm sure it's true for each of us. Problem is, Lord, as the world tells us that no big deal. Don't worry about it. You're fine. But the struggle I have, Lord, is that your word tells me it is a big deal. That I should worry about it. Because, Lord, I want righteousness. I want true holiness. And what I need is you. Lord, help me to seek your face daily. Help us, Lord, to seek your face daily. That we would be continually being renewed by your Holy Spirit with our minds, with our thoughts, with our actions. Lord, that we would continually be putting off, throwing off that old garment and putting on the new man that has been created in Christ Jesus, the one that you want us to be, Lord. We are yours. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.